We are looking at Proverbs chapter 3 in the month of September. It's a wonderful chapter. We've already quoted its key verse, which is verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. He will make your paths straight. So that is part of our text this morning, and it is the heart of what we're trying to do. So my prayer is that everybody in the room will finish the month of September with a greater generosity. You're still not living at your maximum love. You're not living at your maximum peace. You need to be growing in these virtues of the Christian life, and you're not yet living at maximum generosity. Say, why should I be generous? Because God has been generous to you, my brother. That's why. The generosity of God is astonishing. God's been generous to you. Freely, freely you have received, Jesus said. Freely, freely give. So when you are a generous person, you are more like God. You reflect the character of God. In fact, you help people understand who God is in His generosity as you practice generosity. And we have the opportunity to be cheerful and generous givers every week. And so as the offering is passed at the end of the service, I'm going to be putting in my offering, and I hope that you will as well, even though many of us give in other ways uh, on a monthly or every other week basis. Now, I'm in chapter 3. I love Proverbs chapter 3. I know that you do too. Verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many days and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Somebody asked me, is your wife Janet, is she a financial person? Does she understand finances? And I said, she really does, because she is very frugal, and she understands the value of money. What Proverbs 3 is trying to help us understand is the value of money and of other things that we own and possess, where those things fit in the hierarchy of values which all of us have. We have a hierarchy of values. Some things are more important than others. Apparently, there are some scientists who do not think mosquitoes are important. Maybe you have had the same thought. Mosquitoes are just not that important. Maybe you've asked the question, why did God make mosquitoes? I got bit three times yesterday while I was swinging the boys. Why are there mosquitoes in the world? Well, the mosquito, you may not realize, is the most dangerous animal on planet Earth. The mosquito is the most dangerous. You would not have guessed it, but 500,000 humans every year die from mosquito-borne diseases, particularly malaria, but also dengue and now Zika, and I don't know, there are four or five major ways that humans die because of mosquitoes. And a scientist is in the paper today recorded as saying, 
humans have a moral obligation to wipe out the mosquito population on planet Earth. Have you heard this? They are going to do gene editing, they say, if the government will allow them. I don't know you, how you edit the gene in a mosquito. I'm trying to think how you do that. I don't know if you use a knife. Probably not. It's probably too big. Probably have to do something else. I ought to know more about this. My sister-in-law actually does gene editing in mice. She runs a laboratory in Toronto, Canada. It's called a knockout lab. And they knock out a gene, and then they check the litter of those that had the knockout gene to see how it affects the litter. And uh, so she is a specialist in, D in DNA and genetic editing. But uh, some people are saying, no, the world can't do without mosquitoes. If we weren't supposed to have them, we wouldn't have them. And the scientists are saying the mosquito came from some little forest in Africa and was exported from there until it went around the world. It wasn't in the world until apparently recent uh, generations. Where does the mosquito rank in the values? See? And so we make these decisions all the time. Well, Proverbs 3 is going to help us rank material possessions and other things in terms of their true importance for our life and health and well-being on the planet. I want you to receive and believe these better returns that are talked about in this text. In verses 13 and 14, we have the title for the series, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Do you believe this? Do you believe that wisdom yields better returns than gold? Gold is doing all right. $1,300 an ounce. I probably got a hundredth of an ounce right here. And that's made out of gold, that little band. Bought it at a pawn shop because I lost two of them in succession. <laughs> so, but this one now has stayed with me 40 years. How about that? The pawn shop, little ring. Gold gives you some pretty good returns. In South Africa, the mining business is booming right now. It is a precious metal. Precious because it is rare. And because it can be formed and forged into circles like this that will maintain their shape. Made into jewelry. It's got a beautiful color. It is a precious metal. The scripture says here that wisdom bears better returns than gold. I want you to think about it. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Maybe you're thinking, well, how would you define wisdom? Glad you asked. Wisdom is applied knowledge that conforms to the character of God. That's how I would define wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge that conforms to the character of God. That's what wisdom is. So, you're not smart or wise if you just know information. Wisdom is more than having information. Wisdom is applying the information. It is applied knowledge, and it's applied in a certain way. It is applied 
in a way that conforms to the character of God. Now, I have that definition because I've been reading Proverbs and the other wisdom literature, and that's how I understand wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It is applied knowledge that conforms to the character of God. So it's not just knowing stuff. It's not just being able to Google stuff. It's not being the master of trivia. Wisdom is being disciplined to apply what you know in a way that is consistent with the character of God. Now, I use the word discipline, and the word discipline is important. It's important in the book of Proverbs and in all of the Christian life. And we use discipline to describe those life practices that are intended to help us be healthy and live a better life. So a discipline is a practice. It's a habit of life that is implemented oftentimes to correct something that's going on. Maybe we realize we're just not in eating in a healthy way. We're drinking so much caffeine that we lay in bed at night and just shiver. And all of a sudden we think, I'm not going to drink any caffeine after lunch. And I'll see if that improves my sleep. And sure enough, it does. Now, if somebody volunteers to buy you an iced mocha at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and you go ahead and drink that caffeine-laden drink, you know you're going to pay the price. So a discipline is often a correction. If we let Graham, the three-year-old, pick what he will eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it will be chocolate milk and chocolate chip cookies. Now, we know that's not good for him to eat only that. So if you are eating now raw vegetables like many of us are, not necessarily because that's the first impulse of our heart, but we're eating that because we want to have healthier, longer lives. The same is true with exercise, okay? Many of us know, hey, we're not exercising enough. Knowing it doesn't make you wise, okay? <laughs> Any more than knowing you shouldn't be eating caffeine at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The knowledge is not what makes you wise. It's the practice that makes you wise. So if you're getting up at 2 o'clock or at 5 o'clock in the morning and you're running a couple miles and you're, you're exercising like you ought to do, then that is an act of wisdom that will likely make you healthier, make you feel better, and maybe even extend your life. Both of these illustrations about diet and exercise pertain to the physical body because your physical and your spiritual are vitally connected and you cannot separate them. Maybe you want to. You'd like to. You'd like to say, oh, no, my body, my diet, my exercise, my eating habits and all that hadn't got anything to do with my spirit. That's an ancient heresy, okay? The separation of the physical from the spiritual. You can't do it. You can't sit in this room with your body and put your soul in the fellowship hall. Can you do that? You are a united individual. You are a unity, mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And that unity cannot be broken in this life, okay? You are one individual. You are soul, you are body, you are spirit. 
And the unity of that is part of what is taught in Proverbs chapter 3. So these practices about diet and exercise and other ways that we relate to the physical world are very important to our attitude, our spirit, and our well-being, okay? Really important that we buy into that because it's truth. Really important to know that it's not the information that makes us wise. It is the practice of it. And the disciplines are tough, but they are necessary if we are to be wise. Now, the Scripture is talking here about three disciplines. So I want you to hear the counsel of the wise. There are three disciplines in verses 1, 3, and 5. And there are three results, returns. And they are verses 2, 4, and 6. Each one of the disciplines uses an interesting word. It's the word heart. Keep these commands in your heart. Write these on the tablet of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you see the parallel between the three disciplines? They're one, three, and five. Those are the disciplines. Part of six is the discipline, all right? And then there are three returns in two, four, and six. Do you see those in this text? Now, you've got to receive this into your heart. It's got to take a central place in your being. The word heart in both Hebrew and Greek is used symbolically, as it is here, to describe the center of the human personality, while it also refers to that organ that keeps your blood circulating in your body, the physical heart. When I was a pastor in Houston, a resident at St. Luke's Heart Institute invited me to come and observe heart surgery done by Dr. Denton Cooley, who was 70 years old at the time, and they say he stood by the bedside of the patients 10 hours a day with his hands plunged into the blood. A workhorse, a very famous heart surgeon, I watched him as he operated on a woman. And then the resident took me to the floor and took me from one place to another where the heart operations were taking place. And they had a man whose chest was open and his heart was beating. And the resident said, take a good look at that. And he actually pushed the back of my head and <laughs> the heart was right here, just beating like this. You can't live without that. The heart stops, you stop. And the ancients knew it was essential to life. And they made this word work for two things, for the physical heart that beats and circulates the blood, and for the center of who you are. In the King James Bible, the word heart is used 800 times. It is the most common word for human personality in the Bible, and it refers to the essential you. These disciplines do not work if they are lightly held, if they are half-heartedly held. 
if you are not passionate about this. First, you must buy into the idea that, the, that there are better returns here than you can get with gold or silver or stocks or bonds or anything in this life. There are some better returns here for the person who will listen, for the person who will heed. So he says, my son, listen to me. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. That's a danger that you will forget, a danger that you will misplace, a danger that you will overlook or get detoured from or neglect this truth that the wisdom of God and the person of God and the character of God conforming your life to who he is is absolutely essential for the best returns on this planet. Do not forget. It's like the wise is just grabbing the shoulders of the son, that student, and saying, listen to me. Do not forget this. Why should I keep your commands? This is obedience, okay? Keeping the commands to observe, to guard, to cherish. That's what the word keep means. Keeping these commands is not just about looking at them. It's about doing them. It's about following them and implementing them in your life. Obedience. This is the first discipline. It brings great returns. You say, what kind of returns? For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That's the return. Long life, peace, and prosperity. If you will hold these commands, if you will keep these commands in your heart, if you will obey what God says, they're going to deliver for you better returns than anything you can get anywhere if you will do this. Obey the commands, and they will deliver for you. Don't you want to sometimes grab a young person's shoulders and say, would you pay attention to me for a minute? Listen to this. Don't forget this. Remember this. This is going to deliver for you. This is going to bring peace in your heart. This is going to bring a prosperity and abundance into your life. Keep these commands. Keep them in your heart. Second discipline. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let love and faithfulness do what? Never leave you. Not when you're in the boardroom. Not when you're in the classroom. Not when you're in the courtroom. Not when you're in a car or the house or the job or the university. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, right here. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What is that about? What is that discipline? Everybody in the room has some short sayings in your brain that you have cataloged to respond to situations when they come up. If you were surprised, if all of a sudden you got to make a decision, if there's suddenly a conflict that you're having to deal with, if somebody asks you what you're going to do, if they ask you for counsel or advice. 
There's some little quip that you've got that you use. Maybe you learned it from your dad or your mom or your grandparents or read it somewhere. I talked to a lady once who got a divorce, and I said, why'd you get that divorce? She said, well, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. It's a quote. I guess she had it stored up somewhere in her heart. Is that the right way to make a decision about a divorce? Wouldn't it be better if you had the shorthand version? Here's the cliff notes of life. Love and faithfulness never leave you. You write it on the inside of your eyelids. Love and faithfulness never leave you. don't have to do this, okay? This doesn't have to be short, your shorthand for life. You don't have to adopt this discipline. But the wise man is saying, this is a discipline for you. This is what I want you to do, son. Let love and faithfulness never, ever leave you. Let it be the default. When you have a conflict, a situation, a relationship, a challenge, and you're, let it be the default. How would love and faithfulness answer this question? How would I behave in love and faithfulness in this situation? How do I respond in love and faithfulness to the challenge that I'm hearing? How does love and faithfulness work in this? Tell you what, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, think about them every day, love and faithfulness. And when you don't know what to do, drop back to this one. This is the default. What does love and faithfulness require of me? Love and faithfulness are big, wonderful words. And everybody agrees they're important, and you want them in your character. But to integrate them fully into who you are, to respond in your world like God intends for you to, they've got to be more than just some words out there. They've got to be a discipline of life through which you respond to this child who has faltered, the spouse who is disappointed, the employer who is challenging you, they've got to be a default in your heart where you never, ever let them go. Love and faithfulness, love and faithfulness. You say, why would I do that? Because if you do, you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and Man, that's the return. And the proverb says, a good name is more to be desired than great riches. You want to have a good name? So when somebody says your name in the community or the neighborhood or at work or in church, there is this immediate response, that is a good person. I know him. A good name is more to be desired than great riches. You can't buy this. You haven't got enough gold to buy this. This good name that you can have as yours and find favor and a good name not only with people but also with God. You can't buy this with all the gold in the world. But you can buy this. This is a return on love and faithfulness that never leaves you. You want a good name? Not everybody does. Not everybody cares about favor. But Jesus did. Jesus, our Lord, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God 
and man. It's almost like it's a quote, isn't it? It's like Luke was thinking of, of Proverbs 3, 4, when he, when he wrote it about Jesus. He grew in favor with God and man. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, and it will return this reward. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Reorder your universe so that's where you stand. With all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him so that trusting in God is what you do when you get the bad news. Your own or somebody else. When life surprises you, you trust in the Lord. It's funny how we say we trust in the Lord. and Things are going great and all of a sudden something bad happens and, and we wobble. Somebody today is wobbling. You got to wobble in your faith. And what the Holy Spirit wants you to do today is, is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can't comprehend it. Some of you think, if I just knew why, I'd be okay. No, you wouldn't. And no why is coming in this life. If you just knew why, you need the peace that passes understanding. You know what I'm saying? There's a peace that passes understanding. You think if I understood, I'd have peace. No, you need the peace that passes understanding. Where does that come from? It's trust in the Lord. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Why would I trust in God with all my heart? Because he is essentially good. He is a good God. He has demonstrated this in his gift of his son upon the cross. He loves you beyond your comprehension. He is good and he cares for you. Come unto him. All you who are laboring and heavy laden, he gives rest. Bow with me, please. Good and gracious God, thank you for caring for us in our need. Lord, would you bend down now and hear the sinner's prayer, the prayer of the struggling saint, the groan of the heart. Lord, we can't even articulate sometimes what it is, but we know you do. You understand, and so we trust you, God. We trust in your goodness, your love, and your greatness your mercy toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.